0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. This is part of, this is fun apparently, and I I can't do this. (laughs) And our guide realised this is, Rob, come with me. You didn't say he didn't argue with our guide, Xsas sas um, Special Forces and he was also part of the, the, the Prime Minister's Secret Service so you didn't mess with a guy like this. And so he, we went down this series of stairs, I'm going one step at a time, he's going down three steps at a time <laughs> and we get to the bottom and there's this really nice, quite long and narrow park, there's some trees there and a hill with all this, this stonework in it and he says, okay, you wait here, they'll come out over there, and then they'll come here, and then we'll go down there, and we'll go to the Pool of Siloam. Okay, <laughs> he said, see those trees? Olive trees, those olive trees, are six to 700 years old. I said, wow. wow. He says, see that wall over there? See the bottom part? Yeah, Canaanite, 4,000 years old. See the top part? Nehemiah's wall. Nehemiah's wall! Uh, Nehemiah's wall! I think he's my hero. I love Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. He could have touched those stones. It was just one of those moments. So, I'm probably repeating a little bit of stuff that you've heard, but if you haven't heard it, it won't be repeating. repeated. <laughs> <laughs> Nehemiah was a, a Jewish, well, he was an exile, I guess, in, in the Persian Empire. The king was King Artaxerxes, and there was this massive empire that encompassed a good chunk of the known world. It was the Babylonian Empire and that all changed. Read the book of Daniel you'll find out when that happened. We don't know how it happened because it was just overnight. And so he was the cupbearer of the king. That meant he carried the cup, tried the wine, checked it wasn't poison and ate his food. In that society, that was a high and trusted position. The king had to have total confidence in you. So he probably ensured that you actually were fairly happy. And this particular day, Nehemiah was looking really unhappy. A few months beforehand, he'd found out from his brother that Jerusalem was a wreck. 140 years ago, Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem, ripped down the walls, torn the temple, obliterated the temple, and had never been rebuilt. The temple had, but the walls hadn't. A city without walls means that it's economically, politically, and in a military sense, spiritually, just a basket case. It's a laughing stock for the the surrounding nations. And Nehemiah was just heartbroken. It's like God was just doing something in his heart, and then the king gives him an opportunity to speak. You'll find the words, and the gracious hand of God was upon me. Ezra said words like that, and Nehemiah said words like that. And so... Basically, the king gives him permission to go rebuild this wall and finances the whole thing. Now, that's not bad. We're talking about a violent pagan king, ruthless king, empowering him to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to restore Jerusalem and Judah. So this is an awesome thing. So (coughs) he gets back there, sneaks out overnight, to, to see what the damage is doesn't tell anyone because there are people in opposition. You think how could they be in opposition? Hey, Persia's m- three months away or whatever. No one's ever going to know if I'm playing up here. They generally don't care, you know. It's minor stuff. This is a backwater. So I was going to say it's like going to Cooper Pedy, but thinking about Cooper Pedy on the map at the moment. So there you go. So Cooper Pedy is an amazing place. I have to say. And so he, he looks at that, rounds everyone up, we're going to rebuild this wall. They built it in 55 days, 55 days. That is staggering and they had opposition. A few days after they rebuilt the wall, they get everyone together for this massive time of reading the scripture and worship and honouring God and, and celebrating. They get Ezra there because Ezra, by the way, is there and he reads the scripture and he got all these Levites <coughs> interpreting it and preaching. So he got this massive... Scripture reading thing happening all over the place. No amplification. So it's just, say, go. I like that Levite over there. I'll go and listen to him type thing. And uh, and so this is all happening. And then it sinks in. The Scripture is being read. We're talking about the first five books of the Bible being read. (laughs) And these are being read. And these are pretty clear how the people of God are supposed to be. And they just basically start crying. They realize what had happened. They probably never thought about why we're in exile. Is it because Nebuchadnezzar took our ancestors to Babylon or what? Israel had sinned. The people of Israel had behaved in a way that was so abhorrent to God that he brought Nebuchadnezzar down to wreck the place and take them off in exile to start getting it to, In other words, have a good think about themselves. Sometimes that has to happen. It was an exile where the Jewish people worked out why they were in exile. That they had sinned. They were exploiting the people. They were ripping them off. The rich were cheating the, the poor out of their farms and their, their, their property, which had been given when the land was given to them as a thing forever. And that was actually totally wrong. They were cheating them and they were making them work to them for them for, for virtually nothing. The poor were almost starving. And the rich were just living in luxury in Jerusalem. This is abhorrent to God. Where one bunch of people are rich and other people are hardly can put food in their mouths. That is abhorrent to God. And it is still like that today. And the other, they were worshipping pagan idols. Some of the idols they were worshipping were absolutely disgusting. And some included child sacrifice. <clears throat> so, and they didn't take any notice of the prophets. So they ended up in exile. And so Nehemiah brings this lot back they build the walls, they're having this party, everyone's crying, and the Levites are saying, stop crying, this is a day to celebrate, this is a day for celebration, and then Nehemiah says the same thing, stop crying, don't cry, the joy of the Lord is your strength, you know that, you need to understand that the word strength has the sense of being a fortified stronghold, that is how big joy, the strength is here, it is supernatural strength, so when you, you take the joy of the Lord, it's supernatural strength that starts flowing through you because it's bigger than yourself. <laughs> when you can get around the idea that allow God to be in your life in a way that's bigger than yourself, you can be anything he calls you to be, no matter what you think. Ask what he thinks. <laughs> so, th- So then three weeks after that, they have another big celebration in the city there like before, it went on for six hours this time it's reading scripture confessing and repenting (laughs) and worshipping you know people complain about church going for more than an hour and a half they complain about a message back in the day if you you spoke for 21 minutes 20 minutes is enough, that's long enough for your sermon almost like it's my thing to have a sermon because that's good for me and you just sit there and put up with it type thing anyway, I don't know how they would have got on (laughs) <laughs> so they, they gather and they have this big, big prayer meeting. I'm going to read some stuff from Nehemiah 9. I'm just going to read the first cut four verses. So, on October the 31st, how do you get that in the Bible? Well, clever people have correlated a few calendars and they re, replaced it like that. If you have a New Living Translation, it all explains it at the bottom every time. I love this. <laughs> they assembled again, this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite's descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. And and, and we think when Chad reads a whole chapter, that's a fair bit. <laughs> this whole book. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Then for three more hours they confessed... Confess. You could try that, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a go. See how many of us you got left at the end. I'd stay. The next service. I'd stay. Next service. You're going to do that? Yeah, we'll read for you out. Okay. <laughs> That'll just take us up to the whatever. Anyway, they confess their sins and worship the Lord their God. The Levites, Yeshua, Barna, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Burney, or Bunny, (laughs) Sherebiah, Barney, and and Kenaniah stood on the stairway of the Levites and cried out to the Lord their God with loud voices. And then they go into this massive prayer. It's actually worth just sitting down and reading because in a sense... This prayer is like this concise history of Israel right up to this point. (laughs) In this, they're also confessing their sins. I just want to go to something that really jumped out at me in verse 17. Now, this really jumped out at me. They, being the people of Israel, refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to slavery in Egypt. But, now hear this, you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. This is what God is like. He doesn't abandon his people. He didn't abandon them then and he doesn't do it now. He is slow to anger. And he's rich in love. (laughs) He is forgiving. And he is gracious and merciful. Some translations will say gracious and compassionate. This is what God is like. How do I know this? Because it's written in the Bible. It's pretty obvious. (laughs) But people will challenge you. How do I know that God is gracious and compassionate? It's in the Bible. And the same theme is picked up in the book of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the Psalms and possibly elsewhere. (laughs) But it's there. This is what God is like. And if the words aren't enough, there are stories that show how forgiving God is, how gracious and compassionate he is, how slow to anger and rich in love he is. So when Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out to the Father. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he asked God to forgive his killers. To me... Jesus has a forgiving heart. Even though he's in pain and trauma and all that stuff going on, he has a forgiving heart. If he has a forgiving heart, the Father has a forgiving heart. Jesus is God in human form. He is a perfect man, but he is God in human form with the full nature of God. And so if, the, if he is forgiving, the Father is forgiving. Jesus... <laughs> does what the father is doing and if the father is forgiving he is forgiving so he asked God to forgive these people whether they deserved it or not he asked for forgiveness for them so even at that moment where God could have unleashed I don't know nuclear rockets or angels or fireballs or disaster he heard his son say forgive them So we don't know how that all works out, but God has a forgiving heart. And he was slow to anger. I'm sure that God really was angry, but not in a way that he was going to destroy those people. So he didn't kill those people. He didn't come and rescue Jesus. It all had to happen. So our God, even at that moment, the Father held his anger back from destroying those people when his son hung on the cross. All of us who have children know that that would be difficult for us if we had the ability to rescue our kid, wouldn't we? We have that ability. So God is slow to anger. And he loves these people who are destroying his son. He loves the people of this world and you and I. And we need to understand that, He is rich in love for you and me, for our community, for people whether they deserve it or not. The truth is none of us deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. God, (coughs) at this moment, appeared to be distant when Jesus hung on the cross. And we have moments in our lives where God just seems to be a long way away, (laughs) where God is distant. It's like God has abandoned us. And all of us experience that from time to time. And today, some of you may be experiencing that. But the Bible tells us (laughs) that God never abandons us. There would have been heroes in the Bible who went through times where it just seemed like God was gone. God was distant. He'd left them. He'd dumped them. He'd abandoned them. And yet when you read on, that never happened. So we even have this incredible hero of faith, David, someone who knew God from, being, from, a, from childhood to for the rest of his life. He knew the voice of God. He knew the presence of God. God would talk to him. He would talk to God. God would empower him. But even David had his moments where it seemed like God was gone, that God wasn't there. Psalm 22. The words are, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And on the cross, Jesus echoes those same words. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Look, there would have never, ever been a time in Jesus' life where he didn't know the presence of God. Even before birth, he would have known the presence of God until this moment where he needed God the most. On the cross in pain and trauma and turmoil, the sins of the world were most likely starting to to get on the horizon and come upon him. I don't know how that works, but he was in a dreadful, (laughs) dreadful place. And when he needed the Father the most, he turns his face away from him. Well, we don't know exactly if that's how it is, but that's how we explain it so we can, under, we can get our heads around that God had abandoned him. God had turned his face away. He'd walked away. He'd turned his back. And Jesus knew it. And you say, how could that happen? How could God do that? One of the answers, and it's an answer I like, is that... <coughs> that God couldn't bear to see his son in such pain in all that trauma on the cross. And so he turns his face away. That is one, one, one answer. I've got another thought that sits alongside that one. It doesn't contradict it. It just goes with it. And here it is. <laughs> Jesus was God in human form. He was truly human all the omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence of God, that's like you know, all knowing everything, all powerful and being everywhere. He, he'd given those things up. It's quite clear in the Bible that's happened. So he, but he still had the nature of God. And so he, as this perfect human, would be given as a sacrifice for the redemption of humanity, that our sins would be forgiven. He had to be perfect in every way. He also had to be truly human. The thing is, Jesus did not know what it was like to be alone. He never knew that. He didn't know what it was like to be abandoned by God. To be, And we all have experienced that. It's just like God has abandoned me. He'd never, ever experienced that. To be truly human, to be fit for this perfect sacrifice, he also had to know that. And so on the cross, the Father turns his face away and he's alone. And in a sense, he becomes truly human at that point. Fully human would be better. Would be better, I think. Now you need to understand, this is my thoughts. If anyone else has written it down, I'd like to know about it. And so he cries, Why have you abandoned me? But the thing is, three days later, he rose from the dead. Death was not the finish, there was life and hope and eternal life and future. And if you're struggling today that God has dumped you, has left you, I want to say he hasn't abandoned you. I don't take the time to ponder about the cross. To think about the cross. Occasionally I do, but not often enough. To think about the cross, of what that really means to God, to Jesus, to hang on the cross, to die like that in such a a torturous way, and to have the sins of the world come upon him. And that includes my sins. I don't take time to think about that and, and wonder, wow, I really can't get this I, I just don't fully get it that you would do something like that and somehow have the heart to just say but I'll believe it Lord and I'll receive it. Is it." I don't take the time to do that that's a challenge isn't it just to take time out and do that not just at Easter but other times I don't take time to to ponder about him being slow to be angry and rich in love slow to get angry I mean Most of us are pretty patient, but we do get mad occasionally. But God is slow to anger. There's a guy that used to live here at Port Port Lincoln. That's terrible. That's 40 years ago. (laughs) Here at Victor Harbour. And um, he was a big guy. He was probably that much taller than me. And uh, he was broad across the shoulders, had a fair girth, a massive beard and shaved head and earring. He's an American. Some of you might recognize him. He used to go to church here. <laughs> everyone, everyone knows. Some of you know who I'm talking about. And his forearms were massive. Was, his forearms are thicker than my thighs. And, and, that, and you might say, well, that wouldn't be hard. But, well, come for a ride, right bite, ride. We'll just check that out. We'll find out whether that's true or not. <laughs> we'll try to take a few hills in. <laughs> anyway, on his arm, he had this tattoo. And the tattoo was of a wine glass... And a bunch of grapes. It was a symbol for communion. And a communion symbol that expresses God's love and forgiveness. It was a great symbol. And underneath were the words. Are you ready for this? He ain't mad at you. (laughs) That was written under under this. He ain't mad at you. For this man, he knew God and he knew that and often I would sit down with a bunch of old reprobates around outside of Avondale early in the morning and have coffee and he started joining that group and of course that gets people's curiosity and so Alan was not backward and coming forward and he would just explain what that was and he, was, he, 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 would, he wouldn't hold back but he was pretty gentle and pretty he's a gruff sort of guy but gentle, he's a good guy well I thought he was a good guy and <laughs> And uh, he would explain it. It gets a lot of attention. So he ain't mad at you. He never has a bad day. He never has a bad day. He doesn't have a day where he thinks, oh, I'm just feeling really grumpy. I'm just going to ignore that lot or I'm going to smack someone. He just doesn't have a bad day. Look, (laughs) when I mess up, I know something about God's forgiveness and grace. I know something about the fact that he's slow to anger. That when I do stuff that, I really shouldn't be doing. He pulls me into line and he can be pretty firm but he is loving with it. You know, there will be those who will say God's discipline is good for us. Well, it is because it basically gets us back on track and also we grow as who we're supposed to be as sons and daughters of God. And so he will <laughs> discipline me, he will get me back on track. And it's all with like an incredible way that he is loving in this and there's a sense of peace when God's working and there's a sense of, of joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That may sound familiar. That is the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is the nature of God. It is the character of Jesus. <laughs> and so. We too need to flow in that with love, joy, peace, patience, good goodness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know some of you are thinking, "You lost me four words back. I couldn't keep up with you." And others are thinking, "That's too hard. That's impossible. No one can be like that except Chad." And even then, we're not sure about him. And <laughs> not sure about him either. It's like, never mind. I just got this thing. I want to get silly now. Um, and this is serious stuff. The thing is. With the fruit of the Spirit, now hear me carefully, you think you can't grow in all that. Yes, you can. Why? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. So it is Holy Spirit-fueled. It's Holy Spirit-empowered. And so if there's an area of your life you need to grow in, you have to have the Holy Spirit to help you grow in that. And so if you need to be more kind to people, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to grow you and to be a kind person. And some people say, well, I'm not just naturally kind. Well... You, you need to access the other side of your personality and get the kind bit and ask the Holy Spirit to grow you so that becomes the main side of your personality. You know, it is, there is no excuse. That's not me. I can't do Yes, you can because God can grow you. You can grow in all of those. Some people said it's just one fruit. Well, maybe, but there's aspects where we need to grow. All of us understand that if you ask God for patience, he'll send someone along to you to try you out <laughs> so you can grow in patience. But some of us need to be more peaceable and have an aura of peace around us that will go to other people. Some of us need to be more gentle. We're in a world now where the gentleness seems to have gone out of the window. When when you're in a busy supermarket or shopping centre and people are under stress, especially the staff, gentleness and kindness from a customer is a great thing. It changes their day. You try it in Woolies when people are getting cranky with the staff and they're just (coughs) doing their job. I make a point of it, you know, that gentleness and kindness needs to happen. Patience and goodness needs to happen. And and if we're going to be loving or we're going to be joyful, we need that other stuff to go along with us. Otherwise, our joyful nature doesn't mean a thing. I'll just move on because I've just got on another message here. I'll just write that down. (laughs) Now, when I mess up, God calls me back. And I turn and go to him. That is repentance. And it's like Jesus is waiting there with outstretched arms, with nail scarred hands, ready to forgive me. In effect, he has forgiven me. And I have that thing where I can just receive that forgiveness, know that I'm put right, and just get on with my life. If you're dealing with stuff in your life where you're feeling guilty, you're feeling um you're just mad at someone. Something's happened. You probably need to forgive someone. Forgiving someone is also a gift to yourself because it, the hooks of that, of that thing that's happened to you drop out of you and that other person is forgiven, whether they know it or not. Forgiveness is a crucial thing. Jesus, that's another story. I'll just keep going. <laughs> Slow to anger and rich in love. Here is my, one of my... I won't say I've got an absolute favourite in the Bible, but I do love this. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. (laughs) So you are loved. You are absolutely loved before time began. It's like God has just got this picture of each one of you and just loving each one of us long before we were ever thought of before this day. It's just an amazing thing. And he adopts us into his family. It gives him great pleasure. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, it could be chapter 7, verse 6, 7 and 8, God t- it says to the people that, You're my special treasure, like you're my possession. And he goes on to say things, not because you're the biggest nation, or you're the the prettiest nation, or you're this sort of nation. It's simply because I love you. And you need to understand this, that God has got hold of you, that you're special to him, you give him great pleasure. And it's not because of how clever you are, or how good-looking you are, or whatever you've done. It's just, he loves you. That's the bottom line. His love is amazing. It never wears out. It never runs out. It never breaks down. It never loses its performance. God is just this massive reservoir of love that is perfect, that just keeps on going. (laughs) And he pours it out into his life. He's always with us. He never abandons us. He didn't abandon his people in the past, and he doesn't abandon us now. And you may feel abandoned today, I am here for these words today. This is why I'm here. I'm speaking this today. I'm speaking this into your heart that God has not abandoned you. This is from God for some of you here today. And he is forgiving and loving and gracious. Grace could be defined as God's undeserved favor and love poured into our lives. Grace can also be defined as the empowering presence of God. You could say grace is God's undeserved favour and love and empowering presence poured into our lives. It's like he gives something of himself, his empowering presence, the Holy Spirit, to enable us and empower us to live our lives. Folks, ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. Most of us, if not all of us, are filled with the Holy Spirit. But ask Him to fill you. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The Holy Spirit loves speaking to us. He's speaking to us all the time. Most of the time, we're not listening. <laughs> but when we start just sitting and listening, well, we can stand or and listening. He is speaking to us, and He is always doing it. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the cross before you and see the resurrection as this massive backdrop, this massive, glorious, wonderful backdrop behind the cross. Here is forgiveness and freedom. And here is life and hope and eternal life and future and identity and destiny and the power and the presence of the holy spirit God gives us forgiveness and hope and love this is what he is like more and more we need to understand what he is like and what he is like is good he gives us his holy spirit and his holy spirit pours out power and fire and healing He pours out supernatural gifts of miracles and supernatural abilities to enable us and empower us to be his people. We are his people. We have been called by name. And he calls us to grow, to be more and more like Jesus, to become what he intended us to be. And he calls us to make disciples that is we are to take a message to our community and beyond a message of hope and love and forgiveness and in that message in the power of God people's lives get changed and they become disciples so today we're his people and we have a message for our community, and we have a message for ourselves. And today's message is simply: keep going. Don't give up. God has not abandoned you, and He ain't done with you yet. Amen. I'm just going to pray, and then, or do you want to pray, Chad? You look like you, you look like you've got one ready to go. You go, mate. You okay, go. You're okay. Hotline. Okay. Let's let's stand. Stand your feet. Stand your feet. We're going to hit the worship. <laughs> Took my Bible away. Not, I haven't got my gun. <laughs> I haven't got my sword. It's all right, Chad. I know it off by heart. <laughs> That's what Barry Chan asked if I did. <laughs> Father God, lift your hands to the Lord or lift your heart or put your hands across you or on your chest or on your heart. What, wherever, whatever works for you, just reach out to Him. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and, and, and come into your, into, into your people, into this place, and bring a deep sense of power and your goodness. I pray, Lord, that the fire of God would fall here in such a way that we would be totally empowered by you, Lord. We would know your presence. Your presence would be overwhelming. And I pray, Lord, today that we would know something of your forgiveness, that you are a forgiving God. Let that happen, Lord. Let guilt be chased out of this room today. (laughs) Lord, I pray that we would know something of your grace and your compassion and your mercy. I pray, Lord, we would receive. For those who need mercy today, let them receive. For those who need compassion, let them receive. For those who need grace, something undeserved in their life, <clears throat> let that happen now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that those who are thinking you're mad at them, Lord, that you would speak in their hearts that you, you are slow to anger, that you are full of unfailing love, There will be those today who will feel loved like they've never been before. And for those who feel they've been dumped, they've been left out, alone, abandoned, I pray, Lord, that you would bring your presence, that I am with you. I am with you. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. Thank you for your goodness, your forgiveness, your presence. And we bless you, Lord, in Your mighty name. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at BaysideChurch.org.au, and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.